0: Well, that was wonderful together this morning, praise team. Thank you for leading us, and thank you for those wonderful readings from God's holy word. Uh, The providence of God is a very wonderful truth for Christian living. And this week I came across, I think, one of the greatest definitions that I've read of the providence of God. Here's what it is. It is the wisdom and power which God constantly exercises in the preservation and government of the world for the ends which he proposes to accomplish. So what this is saying is that God, through his wisdom and power, continually preserves and governs the world daily. And he does this so effectively that his plans are always accomplished and they are never defeated. I've been reading uh, in recent days Pastor John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, and I've discovered that he speaks about providence very, very often. And one of the things that he said about providence is this, for the good and safety of his people, God overrules all the creatures, even the devil himself, who did not attempt anything against Job without God's permission and command. That's how great the providence of God is. Now, I think the greatest verse in all of the Bible on the providence of God is a verse that we all know by heart and we love this verse, Romans 8.28. Would you read it together with me? And I believe this is the English Standard Version translation. Let's read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What a wonderful truth this is. Nothing is beyond God's ability to make it contribute to his ultimate plans for us. Now, this has tremendous encouragement and help for our Christian life. Wonderful application to the way in which we live in this often very difficult world. Uh, Look at how Pastor Calvin again describes the uh, tremendous comfort this is to us. He says, this knowledge is necessarily followed by gratitude and prosperity, patience in adversity, and incredible security for the time to come. If you believe in the providence of God, if you believe in Romans 8.28, then here's what happens. When you are prospering, you'll be grateful to God. When you are suffering, you'll be patient under His hand. And as you look to the future, no matter what, you know, I have incredible security. All God's people said about this, amen. Amen. Now, no person in the Bible illustrates God's providence like Joseph. And so as we come to the second episode of his life today in Genesis 37, we come to a message that I'm simply entitling, Fruitfulness, Suffering and Persecution, and the Providence of God. For we're going to see that Joseph continues to live this fruitful life, But he experiences its incredible suffering. But over all of it is the providence of God directing and watching and leading his child. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 37. It happens to be about page 37 in the Pew Bible in front of you if you would like to take it there. And let's begin this morning as we turn to God's Word with just a brief moment of prayer. Father, Your ways are mysterious, Your Word says. My ways are not Your ways. As higher as uh, the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above Your ways. And we confess that many times Your way is hidden to us. But even though we cannot see your hand, as someone has well said, we can trust your heart. And today, as we see the hand that Joseph could not see, help us to trust your heart in our own lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, as we open up this second episode and verse 18, this is the truth that we see. Believers called by God pursue fruitful lives. Believers who know they have been called by God make it their number one priority to pursue a fruitful life. There is nothing like the call of God on your life that will focus your life in living for Him. Let's notice verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and and he came to Shechem. Now, I want you to stop right here and notice, first of all, the very first thing we see is Joseph's ready obedience to Jacob's wishes. Uh, Jacob, caring about the welfare of his other sons, who are at a great distance uh, pasturing the family flocks, sends Joseph on an investigative report. By the way, right away there's tension, isn't there? Right away, when he says, I want, in verse 14, you to bring me word there is tension. Because it reminds us of the previous episode. The last time, in verse 2, that Joseph brought a report, it was a bad report, about the evil behavior of his brothers. And you remember, down in verse 4, that they got to the place where they could not speak peacefully to him. What is interesting is when Jacob says to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers. That again is the Hebrew word shalom. Which means prosperity, peace, and welfare. And you remember back in verse 4, the brothers had gotten to the place where they could not speak peacefully to their brother. That also is the word shalom. So notice this. Joseph is sent to check on their shalom But for them there is no shalom for Joseph. Now clearly Joseph does not understand the depth of their hatred. But he must have known some unhappiness existed. Yet what does he say? Verse 13. Here I am. Here I am. Do you know that refers to the readiness of a person to listen or obey? For you who have been in the military, it is, sir, at your service, at once, yes, sir. It's interesting, this expression, here I am, is often used of our obedience to God. In fact, the first time it's found in the book of Genesis, Abraham is calling, responding to God's call to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in Genesis 22.1, he says, Here I am. It's also used of uh, Isaiah's great vision of the Lord, in which God calls him to preach to a hostile group of people and remember what Isaiah says. Here I am, send me, send me. Say, knowing what we know about these brothers and their hatred of Joseph, I think at this point I would say, here I am, send somebody else. Right? Anyone can obey when it's easy, right? The fruitful person obeys God even when it's what? Hard. Hard. You see, Joseph is responding to God's call with an obedient, fruitful life. And then let's notice his faithfulness. Look at verse 15. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now looking at this map, what we can see is this was no easy journey for Joseph to take. It was about 50 miles from Hebron up to Shechem. It would take three to four days on foot to get there. And then when Joseph arrives, he finds they are not there. According to verse 15, he wanders around looking for them until he gets lost And this man finds him wandering around in the wilderness. He just happens to hear they were headed to Dothan. So he says to Joseph, they're in Dothan. That's another 15 miles. Another day's journey. Five total days to to make it there. Now, after four days, getting lost, going to a group of brothers who do not appreciate you, what would most people have done? I guess we're all kind of like most people, aren't we? I've done enough. I couldn't find them. I'm going back. There are two types of people in this world, aren't there? Those who do only what they're asked, and those who do more than they're asked. Which kind of a person is a fruitful person? I think we know. By the way, what motivated Joseph? Knowing what we know about these brothers, what motivated him? Well, did you notice in verse 16? Joseph says, I am seeking my brothers. This morning, people, we cannot miss the fact that in the original language, brothers is first in this sentence. Joseph literally says, brothers, I am seeking. You know what this is all about for Joseph? It's all about family. I'll go the extra day. I'll go the extra 15 miles because it is my brothers. One Bible student has said about this little statement I'm seeking my brothers. This sentence reflects the soul of Joseph and the soul of his whole life towards his brothers. Listen to this. In spite of their hatred of him, there is no hatred in him. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And now we are seeing in an amazing way the faithfulness of this man of God. Now, why is this section here? Well, I think there are two reasons. One, this shows the contrast between Joseph and his brothers God was right in choosing Joseph as the leader. You see, Joseph was living a fruitful life, and the Bible says to us, God blesses fruitfulness. I think there is a second reason why this is here, and it is to show us that Joseph does not deserve the treatment he is about to receive. You see, we could read this chapter and come to this conclusion. Well, Joseph is a tattletale. He's wearing this uh, royal robe, and and he's a show off. He has brought this on himself. Not at all. Not at all. The treatment Joseph is about to receive was in. God's plan. It was in God's plan. This truth that I want to share with you should not surprise us. Here it is. Being fruitful does not eliminate unjust suffering. there's anything I know as a pastor now for many, many years, it is that God's people suffer just as much as the non-believer does, and we experience unjust suffering in the same way that the world does. And the whole Bible teaches us this truth, that even though we are living an obedient and faithful life and pursuing fruitfulness, God will still allow unjust suffering into our lives. Now as we continue in the story this morning, what we see is the types of biblical suffering that Joseph experienced. Look up here for a moment. Have you experienced some of these? Every pastor in his office has probably heard all of them at one time. This is what Joseph begins to experience in the second episode in his life. Let's look at them together, alright? First of all, resentment and name-calling. Look at verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now Shechem and Dothan are up in the mountain range of central Israel. There was a downward slope from Shechem down to Dotham and in the glistening sun, the brothers could see Joseph as he made his way towards them. What could they see? What could they see? That royal robe, right? Right? indicating he had become the favorite son and elevated above them. Joseph is already serving in a supervisory manner and he's not working with them out amongst the flocks. Already three times. Verse 4, 5, and 8, it says, they hated him. And now just the sight of him stirs up that hatred even more. And so in verse 9, they call him the dreamer. Very interesting expression. It means the Lord of the dreams. It has the idea of the dream expert. It's just dripping with sarcasm and contempt. I read this week this statement, name-calling is the last refuge of the ignorant and uninformed. And isn't that true? When we can't get our way or what we want, at least we can begin to call names. And the brothers are ignorant of God's plan through the dreams that He gave to Joseph but more than that, they are also unwilling to accept God's divine choice of Joseph to rule over them, and so they cast slurs. The dreamer, the expert in dreams. Notice next, they were planning violence. Look at verse 20. Come now, let us kill him. And throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. Were these brothers really capable of murdering their own flesh and blood? What's the answer? The answer is yes. Yes. Do you know right in Shechem where Joseph had just left? Simeon and Levi murdered an entire village to avenge the rape of their sister Dinah. One man raped their sister Dinah and in their vengeance, unsuspectingly, they went to the village and they murdered every man in the village and then took the plunder And those who remained alive, the women and children, captive. They murdered every man for the sin of one. You know what Jacob would later call Simeon and Levi in Genesis 49? Violent, willful, fierce, and cruel. Now, in verse 19, as we look at it, they are talking among themselves And it's very clear that they are now stirring each other up and a mob mentality takes over. And all of us know from watching the evening news what an angry mob is capable of doing unspeakable horrors. Yes, they were capable of murder. Now notice Reuben's response. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand later to restore him to his father. Reuben at this point seems genuinely concerned to stop this violence, I think as we read this, we would have to say Reuben is sincere. But these were only halfway measures, weren't they? Halfway measures. You see, as the oldest brother, the one who wanted to have leadership over the other 11, Reuben at this point should have stood tall He should have stood brave. He should have said to his brothers, listen, we're not going to do this. And if you attempt to do this, I want you to understand right now, it is not going to be nine against one. It's going to be eight against two. What are leaders supposed to do? Leaders lead. Don't they? Leaders are supposed to lead. And in the end, Reuben's plan backfired and he ends up deceiving his father like the rest. You know what the problem with halfway measures is? They only work half the time. And look down at verse 30 and look at how Reuben ends up, he returned to his brothers when he discovered that Joseph was gone. He said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Reuben's pity is only for himself. And he becomes a pitiful person. Notice next, cruelty. Cruelty. Look at verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. In preparation for this message, I found this cistern. In a recent survey in Israel, this cistern was uncovered. And the plans were to throw Joseph in a cistern just like this so that he would die. We learn that from Reuben's response down in verse 29. Look at it. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. You see, the plan was this. We will leave Joseph in this pit where he will die of starvation and thirst and exposure to the elements, and therefore we will not be held liable for his blood. By the way, later on in chapter 42, we learn that Joseph begged for his life. He pleaded with them. Don't leave me here to die. Not only did they not listen, look at verse 25. They sat down Eat. Here's little brother, seventeen years of age. We're going to walk away and let him die. He's pleading, and they're eating lunch. I read this week about a Chicago police officer who, in his career, dealt with Chicago gangs. He said after many years of dealing with gangs, he was still amazed how a young man could commit murder and then go to a restaurant and eat a meal with his friends. That's what Joseph's brothers were doing to him. And then they sold Joseph to slave traders on the way to Egypt. Look at verse 26. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we will kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites... And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. You know, Judah's speech here is the most disgusting speech in the whole episode. It is pure hypocrisy. To sell a brother into slavery for profit while feigning concern for family ties, well, after all, we shouldn't kill him, he's our own flesh and blood, let's instead sell him, that speech is a total sham. A total sham. Nothing goes lower than covering wickedness with a sanctimonious speech. Arguing for higher principles. Let's not do this because he is really our brother. Let's not leave him here to die. Instead, we will sell him. Joseph, Judah has no principles at all, does he? He has no principles at all. And then there's dishonesty. Look at verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt. Torn to pieces. One sin leads to another, doesn't it? When sin is harbored and nurtured in the heart, it multiplies. Jealousy and envy lead to hatred. Hatred, if it's not checked, will lead to violence. Violence, if it's not checked, will lead to justifying oneself. And justifying oneself will lead to callous indifference. Do you realize the brothers are so twisted in their minds at this point, they actually see themselves as the good guys versus the bad guy. And then when the unthinkable is finally acted upon... A lie must be concocted to cover up. Finally, the depth is now grief and heartache. Look at verse 34. Then Joseph tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. They seem to even be shocked over the grief they have caused. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The three actions of Jacob here, Throughout the Bible, they are the greatest depths of grief and sorrow. When you tear your clothing, when you put on sackcloth, and when you mourn for many days, that is the depth of sorrow. When Joseph, Jacob says here, I shall go down to Sheol in mourning, what he basically is saying is, I will never in this life get over this. By the way, some grief lasts for a lifetime, doesn't it? This kind of grief lasts for a lifetime. Do you know it would be 20 years before Jacob would learn the truth? 20 years of unnecessary grief. And 20 years of nine brothers, 11 brothers, knowing the truth and watching their fathers grief day after day. Now as I look at this story, But honestly, we have a hard time with this, don't we? I mean, this is pain. This is very real pain. And here's what often happens to us. We, we look at our lives and we say, "You know, I'm being fruitful. I'm obedient. I'm faithful." I'm altruistic in my motives as far as I can see. I even love my enemies. I shouldn't be suffering like this. I should not be in this pit that I'm in in my life. What value is there in living a fruitful life? Have you ever said that? Have you ever felt it? I have. I told you early in my ministry, I sat in my office, overwhelmed with the problems that I didn't know how to solve, and I said to God, is this a cruel joke? And if you've never been there, you probably haven't lived long enough. Because we're all tempted to feel that But nothing could be further from the truth. Let me share with you the Apostle Paul's perspective and ask you this morning to read it with me from Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Would you join me and let's read what Paul teaches us as we today follow Jesus Christ. Please join me. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Because you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. How many wish these verses weren't in the Bible? But there they are. If the life of Joseph teaches us anything, it is that God uses suffering to prepare us for service. It is His plan. And if the life of Joseph also teaches us anything, it is that suffering does not have the last word. Yes, God uses suffering, and He will do that in your life and mine, but what Joseph teaches us Is that suffering never has the last word? I want us to notice in this chapter three very, very simple evidences of God's providence. In fact, as we're reading the chapter, some of them we might miss. But God was watching over everything, ministering and working in all that was occurring, even the persecution and suffering, to accomplish His purposes. Let's look at them. Number one, a man just happened To find Joseph. Did you notice that back in verses 15 through 17? Three times this man is mentioned who finds Joseph wandering in Shechem. And we ask this question, Who is this man? Where did he come from? Why is he so important? Well, here's the answer. Joseph is lost And he needs to be found so that the brothers can be found. Did you notice that in verse 15? A man found him wandering in the fields. And now notice the conclusion, verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Why is that important? because a caravan is on the way through the middle of Israel to rescue Joseph from his brothers to take him to Egypt. And Dothan is right near that trade route. Here it is up on the map in front of us, this trade route that is known as the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And caravans would come on their journey north down to Egypt along this caravan route and guess where it went? Right by Dothan. Now think about this. Joseph stays in Shechem. He misses the caravan. He had to be in Dothan to make God's appointment in Egypt. You know what Jewish tradition says about this man? It says he was an angel. That's Jewish tradition. It doesn't really matter, does it? it? Doesn't matter, does it? God can send an angel or a man out of the blue anytime he wants, right? Anytime he wants. How often has God sent someone to you just when you needed them? In my life, many times. Many times. The very day my dad came out of intensive care in Muskegon, the very day, we got a phone call, a room was available. At Jacobetti. And the last seven months of his life were some of the most beautiful months we had with my dad. The very day he left intensive care, a phone call came. God has a room for him at Jacobetti. God can send us whatever we need right out of the blue. Number two, slave traders just happened to pass by. Did you see that in verse 28? Then Midianite traders passed by. Can I ask you a question? How is Joseph going to get to Egypt without transportation? Right? The slave traders not only rescued him from his brothers, but they paid for him to get to Egypt. God's providence and then look at the last evidence, number three Pharaoh's captain of the royal guard just happened to buy Joseph, look at verse 36 meanwhile oh by the way meanwhile oh by the way The Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Do you know thousands of slaves were sold in Egypt to be regular field slaves? Thousands of them. Joseph is purchased by a royal official. What do these brothers cruelly strip off of Joseph? His royal robe. What did his brothers say about the dreams? We'll see what becomes of his dreams. Now, they sold him to the very place that would begin his climb to royalty. They could strip off his coat. they could not strip off God's plans. Do you hear me today? They could strip off His coat. They could not strip off God's plans. No matter how much unjust suffering you ever experience, no one can take God's will away You You say, Pastor, how can I forgive? How can I go on? Here's how you go on. They may strip everything that seems to be your future and, and the dignity that you have. Strip it away. They cannot strip God's will and God's plans for you. And that's how you forgive. That's how you release bitterness. That's how you go on. Have you ever been tempted to add a verse to the Bible? Now, I know the Bible says that we are not to do that. You don't add or you don't take away. And I I would never have the presumption to do that. But I'm really tempted, right here, just to add a thought that later becomes very real. And the thought would be this. And Joseph began to think, maybe God's not done with me yet. And later, he's going to say that very thing. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. We can see it right now. Joseph will continue and begin to see it as his life unfolds. Remember where we began? We began with this wonderful verse. Let's end with it this morning. Join me. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, our business is to do what is right. Your business is to make it come out right. And this morning, knowing your call, we dedicate ourselves afresh to a fruitful life. And knowing that your word is very plain, that unjust suffering may still come our way, we commit ourselves to your providence your ability to take even the most difficult thing and to make it contribute to your ultimate plans for us. It is with that trust in the watch, care, goodness, and providence of the Lord that we commit our lives to you for Jesus' sake.